Listen closely. That's not just paint rolling on a wall. It's artistry. A master painter carefully applying Benjamin Moore Regal Select eggshell with deftly executed strokes. The roller, lightly cradled in his hands, applying just the right amount of paint. Mm, it's like hearing poetry in motion. Benjamin Moore, see the love. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's better than devil, devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's better than devil, devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Salisbury here. Welcome to a very limited edition of Soap from the Box. Normally, I'm talking to TV's biggest stars from EastEnders, Coronation Street, Emmerdale, Hollyoaks, Neighbours and Home and Away. But for a one-off special edition, it's Pop from the Box. With the UK hosting Eurovision next year on behalf of Ukraine, I thought, as a special treat to you all, why don't I speak to one of our Eurovision winners? She won in 1993. It's the amazing... Sonia, enjoy. Okay, so she wasn't in I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, but her campmates at Stockaker and Waterman included Kylie Minogue, Jason Donovan, Rick Astley, Sunita Bananarama, so many more. She was the first female UK artist to achieve five top 20 hit singles from one album a record obviously she'll keep forever and that was just at the age of 18 hi Sonia hello Lee <laughs> it's amazing to have you on thank you so much for being the first guest on pop from the box now what I'm going to do I always start with the year that the first big success came and that was 1989 when you released your first single and just to get us in the mood and take us back 1989 was the year President Ronald Reagan left office. The Cold War ended and the Berlin Berlin Wall came down, which is mad. Sky TV started as the first TV satellite service and ITV aired the first episode of Home and Away, which I think really takes you back to kind of how long ago it was now, 1989. Gosh, I know. Time's just gone like that, hasn't it? I know. And just to get us in the mood again, a little quiz for you, a fun quiz looking at how much things were in 1989, what do you think um, the Sun newspaper cost back then? Wow, about 25 pence? Oh, nearly 20p. 20p it was. A loaf of bread? I mean, I don't know how much a loaf of bread is now, to be honest, to be honest. About 30 pence? Nearly 38p, not bad. And a packet of cornflakes. <laughs> Oh, my word, 65 pence. 83 pence. So not. I think you did really well there. I would be nowhere near that. But it was a huge music year as well. So again, just for everyone out there, the year began with especially for you being number one, Kylie and Jason, which you all remember, didn't get the Christmas number one slot. Madonna was at number one, her sixth number one with Like a Prayer, one of the biggest songs, the best songs ever. Ah. 
Um, other notable number ones in this year, and I think this makes it even more astounding, your, your number one, because these are some of the biggest records I think that have ever come out. Back to Life, Soul to Soul, Eternal Flame of Angles, Ride on Time, Black Box, All Around the World, Lisa Stansfield, and Hand on Your Heart, Carly Minogue. And then on the 22nd of July, 1989, here came Sonia with You'll Never Stop Me Loving You. So tell me, first of all, before we go back just to get there, what was it like getting a number one record? Wow, uh, it was amazing because I always used to watch Top of the Pops from when I was a little kid. Um, and it was my favourite programme every Thursday. I watch and wait and anticipate and watch it. And to actually achieve a number one was just, it was it was amazing. It was a miracle. And being an unknown, you know, um, 18 years old, straight onto the scene. And, uh, and my life just completely took off. And it must have, were you one of the people actually, I used to have a cassette player and I used to record the top 40 because I loved it so much, like the countdown, just so I could listen to the songs all week. Of course, everybody did that, didn't they? You know, press record and then you'd have it on and on and on. On and, and on, yeah. which people these days wouldn't get. And you are music fans because now you can just go on your phone and download something straight away. But it's like we didn't have that luxury. Um, so you, you, like you said, number one for an 18-year-old, did your life suddenly, I mean, uh, uh, working in soap and stuff, I've seen younger actors' lives suddenly change. Your life must have just suddenly totally changed. Well, it did. It was like a whirlwind, you know, uh, the minute the the song started to rise up the charts um i was traveling everywhere i was going to france germany holland all over europe um in a different country nearly every day you know hair makeup clothes limousines it was just quite oh astonishing for any 18 year old girl and yeah, I mean, talking about that song, what I love, a little interesting fact I picked up actually is a lot of your, a couple of your singles missed a word because you you sing, obviously, You'll Never Stop Me From Loving You, but it was called You'll Never Stop Me Loving You, wasn't it? And then you had counting every single minute and it was counting every minute. <laughs> was that, why was that, do you think? Um, I don't know. It just worked out that way. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, when they did the titles of the songs, obviously the probably made them a little bit shorter yeah, but, snappier. Um, but do you know what I've never really thought of it like that that's, that's a new one for me I know, yeah. <laughs> when you sing you think oh there's a there's a word missing <laughs> <laughs> so just tell me what are you there's a really interesting story which I know obviously tell me what was because you were we're going to go to what you were doing before in a bit so we'll go back there but tell me how that song came about from kind of approaching tell me the, how you met Pete Waterman the because they were like the gods of music obviously at that time Oh, I, well, I loved um, Pete Waterman. I loved Stockhaven and Waterman at the time. At the time, I was only 17, um, you know, and I just adored Kylie and Jason, the whole vibe, the whole sound. And I thought to myself, uh, the only way uh, to get to the top is to go to the top man. And uh, I found out he was going to do a radio show in Liverpool. Um but it was like a disco type of thing on the radio. And uh, I went along this day. I found out he was in Liverpool, as I say. Went along with my sister. Um, and I saw him in the corner and I thought, I'll just go up to him and I'll just be really confident. Um, so I went up to him and I said, Pete, uh, you don't know who I am. My name's Sonia Evans. Um, if you don't sign me up, somebody else will. And you'll lose out. Please, please give me a chance. Please, please. And I just pestered him, you know, for ages. <laughs> so he said, I'll tell you what, kid, come down next Saturday and actually come on the air on my radio show. 
and we'll see what what the public think because all the kids used to listen to the as radio station. So of course the next Saturday I went down there and he was like, okay, kid. So I went live on the air and sang for him, and all the switchboards were going crazy. Who's the scale? Who's the scale? You know. Um, and then the following week he did a show um, called Hitman and Hair, which you probably know with Mickey. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And he said, come down and sing on that and um, we'll see how all the kids like you face to face live on stage. Um, and that's very nice. Um, we went for a, a, a curry uh, with a few other producers who worked at the show. And he said, kids, I've got a record deal for you. Um, would you like to sign to us? And that was that was when I was actually 17. But obviously, my record didn't come out until the following July. So, yeah. Oh, my God. So do you remember what you sang on the radio show when you first went into the radio? Um, I think I sang two songs, but one of them, one of them was the Open up your eyes, then you'll oh. realise Here I stand with my everlasting love Oh, brilliant was- song. Brilliant song. Yeah. And so what was it like getting, I mean, like you said, because you were a fan of Kylie and Joe, which everyone was, when you found out you were going to join that label with that, stable of artists I mean that's probably like icing on the cake isn't it well it was just extraordinary fantastic um you know just to go into PWL see all the discs on the walls um I had to pinch myself like a million times you know it was it was amazing but before my record actually came out we all went on tour together we all went on the Coca-Cola Hitman Roadshow and at that point I never had a song or anything but I was still on the bus with all these Jason and Kylie, Sunita, <laughs> everyone, which I just absolutely could not believe. Um, and of course, I didn't have a song. So every night I would help with all the merchandising and sell the Oh, badges. really? Oh, brilliant. <laughs> In the foyer. Yeah, uh, before I got my song. So it was very, very bizarre. But it was wonderful to be on tour with all these stars at, at that time, you know. Well, it's probably quite nice that you did that, actually, because thinking of it, I think people who work the boards a bit, you know, like seeing the reaction to them probably prepare, help prepare you for then your start. Do you know what I mean? When it, you got that nice little entry into seeing the mayhem that I'm sure ensued those shows. Well, the thing was, I mean, it was like, if you know the story of Rick Astley, he was like T-boy um, for a while yeah. before they got together, writing and stuff. Um, but yeah, but it was just the most amazing time, you know, being on tour. Um in the first place, just with all these massive stars before I got my own big song myself. I know. And there was a nice review, actually. Music and media commented at the time, the SAW, Stockholm and Waterman backing of your first single, the SAW backing sounds like most of the other work they have done, but at least Sonia has a good voice. <laughs> oh, that was nice. Very nice. But the hit back... Oh, sorry, it was a formula that worked. Whatever they touched, it turned to gold, and everybody knew instantly that was a Stockaker Waterman song. And that—that that was the beauty of it. That was the beauty of Mike. That was the gift that he had. Yeah, he I, has. Mean, I think there was a point. I'm sure I've read at one point there was a point that every single top ten record at one point was a was a Hit Factory song, and it was called the Hit Factory. So I'm just wondering. I mean, I've read that I've seen Kylie interviewed, and she says. She was actually down in reception. She had flown over and she was down in reception and they were like, oh God, we haven't got a song for her. And they popped upstairs and wrote, I should be so lucky. <laughs> and she sat in reception before she came up, which is incredible. So seeing as, how was it, what was the hit factory like? I mean, obviously, how long did it take you to record your first single? What was like, how long was it until you went in and recorded it to the release of that um, first song? 
it wasn't very long at all, you know. And um, what happened was, as I say, I was on the Coca-Cola Roadshow, and Pete came in one day um, and said, "Listen, kids, you better go into the studio. Um, Mike wants to record with you. We reckon we've got a, a song for you, you know." I was like, "Oh my god, okay, let, I'll go, I'll go." So went into the studio. Obviously met Mike, um, and he, he kind of just wrote it like in no time, really. <laughs> once you get the hook. Um, but as soon as I heard, you'll never stop me, the hook, I knew we had something. Um, and I think Mike did too. And then I was just adding a bit like, oh, bits and bobs. But it was literally written, I would say, probably in about an hour, something like that. Wow, which is incredible. And for anyone that hasn't heard it, I'm going to play a quick bit. Is so catchy and I think it still sounds like it could be a huge hit today so you did your first music video as well which people can obviously watch online with a gorgeous tall hunk I mean what was that like as well because music videos at the time nowadays I don't think you know people sometimes don't even make them because it's all changed but music videos were key to the success of the song as well what was it like going in to record your first music video <laughs> well, it was brilliant. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, but I was quite surprised when they got the tallest man in the world. There's a brilliant really? bit. It's, it's a really badly done, I suppose, now because of special effects, a split screen where you're sat, obviously, and they put the store as high as it can go. And he's yeah. still taller than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said to the director, I said, is there any chance I could put a pair of high heel shoes on? Just try and make a bit of... And he's like, no, we think it looks cute. Just keep the flat shoes on. I was like, really? <laughs> but it's funny because um, now when you listen to the words, I was kind of a stalker. Yes, um, yes. You know, when you pass him in the street, he looks down at his feet. <laughs> and he so we obviously didn't want to know, but I never got the hint. <laughs> no, yes. And how, I mean, the model, or the, I was a dancer, model, actor, probably, I don't know what he was on at the bit. Can, I watched your first Top of the Pops performance earlier as well. And he was with you, he was with you there. It carried on that, that yes. love affair with you, with your dancer. <laughs> when, <laughs> right. it was hilarious, when the director said, jump on his back, I was like, are you sure? Is this going to work? But we, had a, we did have a laugh. We really did. <laughs> it's a really fun video. And then obviously you talked about going to Top of the Pops. And I suppose I, I watched it earlier thinking he was probably just as nervous as you going to Top of the Pops, being part of it. But what was that like going to Top of the Pops when you were, I think it was um, Simon Mayo and I think Simon Parkinson was his name who introduced you on that show, your first one, I think. What was that like? Oh, wow. I just felt so special the whole day because obviously you do camera runs and rehearsals. And I honestly, I just felt like the most special person in the whole wide world because I was there. And I was the one who was number one, you know, uh, the best, one of the best experiences of my whole life. It really was. And you would have been, because I used to film EastEnders, obviously, at L Street. I think it's when it was at L Street. Did you have the experience? Because I remember at first you used to go in the canteen and there'd be, Doc Cotton, and then someone bleeding from Holby City and Grange Hill, and then megastars on top of the pops. Do you remember being there? Did you see anything like that? Well, there was always loads of people milling around, and you're like, "Oh, I know that face. Oh, I know that face." As you say in the canteen, you know, you bump into all kinds of stars in canteens, don't you? Oh, all you do. The yeah, it's at the best time, isn't it? <laughs> Not like school canteen. <laughs> and I mean, like saying the number ones earlier, like Madonna, like obviously, what a year to be number one. It just shows how incredible that song did as well. Do you know? I think 
it, I read somewhere how many copies it sold in the first week. It was huge. Do you remember how many copies you sold of that song? I think it was probably about 350,000, so maybe yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, it and was so brilliant. then, as I said, oh, gone. sorry, Sonia. Oh, sorry, no, I was just going to say it was great. Um, and then obviously, before we continue with you, I'm going to go carry on with your career and your other songs soon. But first of all, I'm going to go back to the top of your charts, how it all began. So you were born in 1971. So Sonia Evans, like you said, you enrolled at drama school at eight. And what I did, oh, you got a Lambda, you got a Lambda Gold Medal with honours for your work. And what I didn't know, actually, which kind of is quite funny, seeing this is the first episode since Soap from the Box, is that you were an extra in Soap. You're in Brookside. Yes, I was in Brookside, and I was also in um, Bread as well. Yeah, you were, um, were you Adrian's girlfriend in Bread, were you? I was Adrian's girlfriend, yeah. Well, the thing was, as a kid um, from eight years old, I knew I wanted to be on the stage. And also an actress, you know, um, a singer, actress, you know, all rounder, really. Um, yeah, so I went to drama school. Um, I went to lessons, singing lessons. Um, I just... I had the bug from the age of, of like eight years old because I won a talent competition when I was eight. Um, and ever since then, it was just, I was on this mission. I was on this, I was on this road to, to, to success, you know. And was it, at, did you have in it like from eight or whenever you were, at, when you went to drama school, was it, was it always music at like a tiny bit above drama or was it undecided? Do you, I mean, did you just know you wanted to be in the industry? I just wanted to know, I wanted to be in the industry. Um, you know, I was very, very passionate about uh, drama. I mean, to be honest with you, I still am, um, you know, because I really worked hard to get me on as um, in Lambda and I really seriously enjoyed it. Um, it was just a case of what I got a big break in first, yeah. you know. So, of course, I went all hands down to, to get to Pete Waterman. And, of course, up until I met Pete Waterman, I was doing loads of demo tapes. I was traveling around, going all to social clubs. I was doing all kinds of stuff. I'd do panto, you know, extra work, and I got my equity card. Oh, right, so it yeah, was yeah. Um, very much started at the, at the, at the bottom, you know, um, doing all the, I mean, social clubs galore, um, which give, which put me in good stead for working the stage. Well, like you said, I think I think that is the best routine as well. I mean, working with people like Barbara Windsor who started from the bottom. I just think that so it's changed so much nowadays that people can just, you know, be a social media star and have a single out. But I think nothing can prepare you for it then. Do you know what I mean? Because I think you've got to almost start from the bottom to appreciate everything. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, if you can entertain people in a social club who just want the pies to arrive or the big go to start, <laughs> if you can keep their attention, you're pretty much okay. Uh, but you know, just working a stage, working an audience, a live audience. You know, you t there's not nothing to hide behind. It's just you and a demo, you know, a, a back and track, and you've got to hold their attention. There's no big costume changes. It's just on a tiny little stage, you know. So it really, if you if you can conquer that and get, yeah, you know, you can people that, you like, can yeah. anything. Everyone says that actually wise as well. You're right because I think I've spoke to one actor who said. His smallest audience was three people in a, in a session. <laughs> but he said you have to kind of treat it like a normal performance and just yeah. really impress still. Because you never know yeah, you never big. know who those three people might be. Exactly. Exactly. Doesn't matter how many people are in the audience, them people are paid. So you do the same performance as you would do. 
Anyway. As normal, yeah. Um, and then you also, I mean, this was after the first um, single, I think, but you also did a game show, The Better the Wetter, with Ross King on Saturday Morning Kids TV. And I bring that up because Saturday Morning Kids TV, when I, I was lucky enough, I worked on Live and Kicking and the Saturday show early on in my career. And just going back to 1989 and that time, like Saturday Morning TV was like the pinnacle as well, wasn't it? Of being, that's what all the kids watched, what we all watched. And if you must have appeared on Saturday Morning TV with songs as well. I mean, it was like huge, wasn't it, back then? People wouldn't understand now. Wow. Well, I was on the TV nearly every Saturday, actually, with all my singles. But it was great because, as you say, it was it was the best TV ever. Every yeah. Saturday, all the kids would get up and they would never have the TV on all morning. The mums would be hoovering under the feet yes, around. Yeah, totally. yeah. And then, oh, it was amazing because we not only did you sing your single, you did all little scenes. Like, I used to do Ghost Train all the time, and I used to oh, sing yeah. to remember Nobby the Sheep. Nobby yes, the sheep. yes, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was on so many. I, did, yeah, you ever get to do, did you ever get to do the best one, which was our competition, actually, on Love and Kicking? I don't know whether you were in the charts that time, was when Anton Deck did the Friends pastiche with Cat Dealey. Do you remember that? They did a oh, their own version of Friends. Did you ever go I, on that I wasn't on that one, no. no. But I did a lot of work. I did a lot of work with Adam Death. I went on their show loads of times. And we had oh, did you? Yeah, I mean, they've... Yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, everyone in your stable, everyone from that time basically did amazingly well as well. They've all continued to do amazingly well. It's great, isn't it? I mean, I think our generation of that time was just... It was like um, an innocent kid time. Do you know what I mean? Now there wasn't any... It was just innocent, fun pop music that you just loved. Well, that's, well, that was it. It was innocence. It was fun. All the mums and dads loved the music because, as you say, it was innocence and it was just so much fun. And those Saturday mornings were just full of fun and games. And it was it was brilliant. And, and they felt like they could, like, you know, entwine with their pop stars because, like, they knew them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they could really, like, relate to them. Definitely. I mean, I we'll remember... Go- We'll go back to your, like, so one, once you're in the charts, and just to give people facts about Stockhaven and Waterman, because I suppose you could compare them to, I suppose, Simon Cow nowadays, but they had 100 UK top 40 singles, 40 million records sold. They earned an estimated 60 million, which we never know is true. But as we said, your stable mates, I mean, I, I have always seen it, and this isn't meant to be rude, that Kylie and Jason were like the king and queen, and you and Rick Astley were the prince and princess. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and like you said I mean how close how close did you what was it was it kind of um a stable of competition because obviously you're all competing against each other or was it quite a friendly stable of people I mean how often did you interact with each other do you know what it was really friendly and you know what you just got a sense of just such proudness of being a part of it all because it was it was just a miracle what they did and they they have compared it to Motown, actually. Yeah. Because that was kind of like a hit factory stable where everything they touched into gold as well. But it was quite amazing because, you know, you'd have Kylie coming out one minute, I'd be in the next, and we'd be like, hi, and we'd all catch up. But honestly, it was it was really a lovely, friendly, exciting atmosphere. And song-wise, because I remember when Kylie released an album, it, it had Turn It Into Love On, and then Hazel Dean released Turn It Into Love in the UK. Was it, again, did you often, were songs often kind of given to people and then thought, oh, it's better for someone else? Or did you often see songs that you were like, oh, I really want that song? Oh, well, there was a few Kylie songs that I wished I would have got. Um, 
there was one called Never Too Late. Never oh, yeah. Too Late. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that's a very new song, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but do you know what? I, I was really happy with my songs because I think Mike wrote them individually for, for each of us. Um, but yeah, there was a few corkers that you've gone, oh, I wish I would have got that one. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, that's the way life goes. And so I'll just list another couple of the people that you were in the stable with and just give me, say, give me your three top. See, there was Kylie Jason, there was Rick Astley, Banana Rama, Mel and Kim, the Raynor Girls, Brother Beyond, Pepsi and Shirley, Hazel Dean, Big Fun, which we'll get to in a second. I mean, who were your ones that you were like, oh, I love these? Oh, my. Do you know what? I loved all, all of them, really. Yeah. They all love, I mean, I was especially close to Big Fun. Definitely. And me and Sunita were very close. She's dead funny. Well, we've been on, we've done numerous shows together since then. We've done a tour. We went around all Helsinki. We went everywhere together. Wow. And she's just, yeah, she's just funny. She she's brilliant, actually. Um, yeah, so and I've done shows with Lonnie Gordon as well. Um, yeah. we oh, went yeah. to we went to South Africa together only a couple of years ago. So she's great. Um yeah, I, I see Jason all the time because we still do loads of shows together and festivals. We went on a, a sailing on a boat a couple of years ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, so you, I, we, we, our paths cross all the time, all year, especially not this year, you know, obviously. I know, oh no, um, yeah. And when, know, you but, the festi- um, when you do the festivals, when you look out, is it kind of, is most of the audience, the audience have grown up with you? Is it kind of a big, you know, reunion for the audience as well? Or is it, do you see new fans, new kids kind of coming to those shows as well? Well, it, it is absolutely fantastic when you look out because there is obviously our age, but they brought their kids. They yeah. love the music. And it's quite extraordinary when you're watching and these kids are like seven and eight singing your lyrics back to you. <laughs> and you're like, wow, so it's going on. From generation to generation, you know, because as you say, the songs still hold up brilliant today. And honestly, there's kids in the audience of like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. So you're like, yeah. Oh, that is really nice to see, actually, isn't it? And then talking at Big Fun, you obviously did, there were a couple of charity songs. Well, one of my favourite songs of yours, actually, was the one with Big Fun, You've Got a Friend, which I thought was amazing. Um, and then, obviously, you did Band Aid 2, which is <laughs> humongous as well, where I read that, actually, Bob Geldof asked Pete Wardsman to do it, and Pete Wardsman actually postponed his wedding so he could do it. <laughs> but do you remember... Yeah. That must have been mad to kind of, because Band-Aid, A, of course, it's for an amazing cause, but B, the original was obviously so, you know, prolific, we all remember it. Was How was it like when you knew you were going to be a part of a massive, huge record like that? Well, to be honest with you, I didn't know what was happening, really. Um, <laughs> obviously, Band-Aid 1 was iconic, wasn't it? Amazing. Um, but I just got a call on a Sunday morning. Seriously, I thought I had the day off. And... Um, 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 Assistant phoned up and just from the office and said, listen, um, you need to get down to PWL, like ASAP, for something really important. I am, and I said, what, what, what? No, just come. I said, well, what will I wear? Just anything, just come, just come. I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> and then I remember pulling up outside PWL and the crowd was there and everyone was there. And Ross was dancing at the front of the, the, the door and Jason was there. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> And it got into PWL and everyone was running around. There was makeup artists and hairdressers. And Cliff Richard said hi on the way in. I was like, oh, my God. I realised. I was like, oh, my God, this is how they do. Oh, oh, why? It was just the most 
oh, the Accelerate Day, it was, it, was so, it was fascinating, but it was brilliant at the same time. I always wonder what the, what do they do? Do they give you your line or do you sing it all? Do you do your own record and then they divide it up in the edit kind of thing? How does it work? Well, basically, Mike um, worked out who he thought would be best for each line. And I think he realised that me and Lisa Stansfield voice blended really nice. So that's why we, we picked that, we got that line. I mean, it was such a busy day and it was it was chocolate. Imagine how many artists oh there God, was. Yeah. So he had, he had a big task to do, Mike. Um, but he was brilliant. He really was. And, you know, Pete was running in all the time saying, Mike, have you got it under control and all this? And, but he, he he did great. I mean, you know, he, he, and Luke played the drums from Bross, so that was good. Amazing. Um, so he used every used everybody's strength that I thought to the best. And before we go on to your other singles, because it must have been, I mean, I remember working kids TV and work, working with loads of bands at that time when I was working like S Club 7 and Here's and stuff. I mean, they were run ragged. I mean, I remember S Club, uh, some mornings on the show would kind of, they'd be asleep in the makeup chair and they'd be holding their hair up to do their makeup. And then they'd be like, what, what country are we in? They didn't know what country we were in. It must have been crazy for you. I mean, did you literally have booked out seven days a week at the, you know, at this time? Were you just going everywhere manic and how was it, you know? Well, it was, it was completely, yeah, as you say, manic, you know, um, I can't remember even having a day off at that point. Um, you know, I didn't see me with my dad for ages because I was based down in London, then I had a flat. So the car would just come like every day to take me where I needed to be. Um, <laughs> photo shoots, you know, all this stuff. Um, it was purely promotion, promotion, promotion. Um, but obviously in different parts of Europe, they were onto a different song. Um, so we have to try and keep up with all that. Well, you know, you had England here, and then you think, what what song have you brought out in Ireland now? What song have you brought out in France now? So you have to keep up to date. And also, all the clothes you wore for that song, you'd have to make sure you had them for when you went on to that country. So it was just up and down all the time, you know. You didn't have time to think. And you had five singles, like we said, from the first album. Now, I remember as well, people listening who don't remember this time was, you know, you used to buy, uh, you used to probably get one or two singles or three singles released and then release the album. And then I remember as a fan of anyone, you're kind of, you'd be deciding what you wanted the next single to be. <laughs> How did it work at the, with you and the record company? Did you, was there always a plan or would you kind of do shows and think, oh, that, that song's really gone down well, we'll release that as kind of the full single. Do you remember, did you have much say in kind of the, picking of which song was going to be a single? To be honest with you, no, not really, no. I didn't know what was coming next. I just used to go in and record a song and see see what happens. But um, but to be honest with you, they didn't anticipate this success because I was an unknown. We yeah. should have had the album ready to go a lot sooner. Um, and it was kind of like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, we're having these hits, we need an album. <laughs> so that's why it took quite a while for the album to come because nobody anticipated that. So I wish we would have had the album ready to go a lot sooner, but that was just the way it went. Well, and maybe that gave you your record, which you will always have, the first UK female to have five 
top 20 singles. That's probably why she didn't have the album ready. <laughs> There you go, Lee figured it out. <laughs> yeah, because I remember yeah. as well, you had to be really invested in music because I can't remember how much they were, but like if you're a fan of something, you'd get the seven inch and the 12 inch and then, the, and they were quite expensive albums back then, weren't they, compared to now? It was like, you had to be, I don't know how actually I thought it as a kid to buy all these 12 inch albums because they or singles. They were, I think 12 inch singles were like 450 or something, which is quite a lot. That, exactly, and there was always loads of different versions, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, kind yeah. of remix version, didn't you? Maybe an extra, sometimes an extra song that wasn't anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, and, it, it was great to just hold that vinyl in your hand, though, wasn't it? Oh, it was. And to have the pictures and stuff. That's what I miss now, because you've got all your music, but you don't have those. Because I used to think as well, I mean, I, there's certain things. I mean, I think Kylie's original album would be prolific in that black band with the hair on top and stuff. Again, did you... What were they like with your image? I mean, we were saying like with the first video and they it, that's probably what they wanted, the cute kind of, you know, the cute ne- girl next door, which I think PWL did very well at doing. Did they kind of, do you remember kind of specifically talking about image and, you know, what you were going to wear on single covers and stuff? Well, completely, yeah, because when I met Pete Waterman, I had hair right down past, right oh, down to my wow. really long. Yeah, and then I went to the hairdressers, um, Brilliant hairdressers. He, he did all the all the artists. He did Kylie, Jason, everybody. And uh, Lena was name. He's a very very famous hairdresser. Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. He does um, he, he he does um the Donald Trump's hair and his wife's hair. And, I mean, wow. he's the best in the business. And he said to me, Sonny, he said, I think we need to cut your hair. Maybe have a bit of a care a perm, um, just to be a bubbly and look me look a bit younger, you know? Because I because I, I was quite um mature for me age and with that and that long hair he thought it might make me look a bit uh, you know but younger and bubblier and I remember thinking oh please don't cut me hair please uh, <laughs> and, then, and then we did and then obviously you know I looked about 12 then so that was perfect <laughs> but, they were like great <laughs> but it was, it was bubbly and it was fun um and obviously I had a stylist um who became one of my really good friends um and she, in, in fact, I do have a story about Chazza. Uh, I went to the Natural History Museum uh, before before I got signed to the Christmas party in London. And um, nobody knew who I was then. And I knew nobody from the company or anything. Yeah. And I actually went to the toilets and all my tights ripped. <laughs> I don't know why. And this girl was walking out the toilets. And I said, listen, you don't happen to have, I know this sounds ridiculous, but you don't have to have a pit. It's like, it's in your bag, do you? <laughs> And she said, yes, actually, I do. So she let me appear in a tight, and it was actually Shazza. And then oh. she turned out to be my stylist when I went to PWL. So well, how bad was that? But, and she was, yeah. stylist. she was a stylist for everyone as well, wasn't she? They used yeah. the same for everyone, yeah. Yeah, so she saw me as a bubbly, fun girl next door, um, completely um, accessible for kids to buy clothes and, and little accessories. I used to wear my hair and the belts and the little top that kids could go and get. Um, and she was actually right, actually, because I went on a TV program once and um, they said, Oh, where'd you buy all the clothes? And I said, Because the kids love buying all the clothes. And I said, I go to Top Shop. Well, that was it, wasn't it? Top Shop, um, yeah. Yeah. So I uh, got a phone call from Top Shop, actually, after I gave them that little bit of a plug. And um, they gave me thousands and thousands of pounds, closed the shop. Wow, wow. Shop. Oh, my yeah. God, that's really They closed the shop. Because all, all the kids used to go to Top Shop, you see, to buy yeah. all the 
be like the, the, the pop stars, didn't they? I mean, you must have felt very special then. That's like, I mean, I, mean, I think that's, I've only heard that for like Michael Jackson, where they closed the whole top shop. In Ox- was it on Oxford Street as well, the big one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You were like this. It was amazing. <laughs> I couldn't grab anything quick enough. I just couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant, honestly. Every girl's dream. Oh my God, that is every girl's dream. And what did your family make of it as well? Because did you come from like a showbiz background or was it all new? Were you like the first person to hit these kind of big lights? Well, I've got um, two sisters who sang, and we always used to sing at home and stuff. They're brilliant at harmonising and stuff. But I've actually got, um, I don't even remember the Vernon girls. Oh, I do remember them, yes, yeah. One of my aunties was was one of them. And one of my cousins cousins was in our kids. Remember, you just might see me cry. Oh, yes, oh, wow. Yeah, one of my cousins, he got, he got actually booked to number two with that oh, song. Brilliant. Oh, my God. Well, that is an impressive family background then. Yeah. So there was always music around. I mean, my dad is one of, like, 12 kids. And most of the my aunties and uncles played an instrument. So every time we went round, we'd all sing and play. So it's always been a big part of our family. And who did you take with you? Because obviously when you went to around the world and you were still quite young, did you have, did you take turns with sisters or mums or friends? Who was your kind of person that used to go with you everywhere? Well, the main person was really Sally Atkins, who used to look after me at PWL. But I did take, um, I took one of my sisters to uh, Brazil. Um, I mean, one of my other sisters used to come to Malta with me and, and all that. But I always had a, like a, a tour manager and a bodyguard type of person, but I used to I used to treat my sisters. My sisters used to come to Top of the Pops um, oh, quite a few times, but there was a, there's a story behind the Top of the Pops with my sisters. Um, one of my sisters used to work in a shop where you like had tape measured and work with Sorry, him. my dog is just, just excuse my dog, I think has heard the postman, but it's always, you know, so sorry, before, Sophie Ellis Bexter's with her kitchen discos made it okay, hasn't she, for things to be going <laughs> off in the background. <laughs> She's got her kids, and there we go. So sorry, go on. The top of the pop story. Yeah, top of the pop story. I invited two of my sisters to come down to watch me on top of the pop. And my sister used to work in like a fabric shop then. You know, where you'd, you'd like measure fabric out and give it out and stuff. And she said to her boss, oh, I'm awful ill. I cannot come to work the next couple of days. I'll just have to stay at home and uh, rest. And he was like, well, we really need you. We're really short-staffed. And she was like, no, I can't. I really can't. When we got to Top of the Pops, um, I think it was Simon Mayo or Bruno Brooks grabbed her up the stage. (laughs) And she went, she was going, no, no, I can't go on the screen. No, no. Bruno's going, give me some stupid to go you can. I think it was Bruno Brooks. And then it went out and he said, here's Diane and she's Sonia's sister. The similar thing happened to me. A friend was on Dancing on Ice and we I had to take, I can't remember what I was doing, but I took like a day off work and I was working telly and we were sat in the audience and suddenly, you know, the big screen in the studio had me and my friend, like my friend on. And we're, oh, so I was trying to hide behind this person's placard and work texting and <laughs> we can see you because it used to be live. We can see you. <laughs> I didn't get sat, you were still like, oh God, I know. Um, so the other singles you had were, so in all the five singles, I mean, we were talking about the others you had, Can't Forget You, which got to number 17. And I must say, would, were you a bit like, oh, Bloody hell, I was happy at number one. 
you know what? I was, I was, to be honest, but um, but it was still a great song. I still enjoyed it. Um, we went down to Brighton to do the uh, the video for that one, which I really enjoyed. But uh, but yeah, you know, I was obviously being number one, and then yeah. I was like, but, but hey, that's the way life goes. And then you had Listen to Your Heart, which was number 10, Counting Every Minute, which actually is one of my favourites, number 16, End of the World, another great song, number 18. So they were your five from that album. And I suppose once, I mean, that lasted obviously quite a while. That took you to then the album coming out. Um, when, I mean, Kylie obviously say there are a lot of times. Do you start getting in that environment, though, a bit kind of like, oh, I would love to go in a different direction? Do you know what I mean? Because it's quite intense and stuff. Do you start thinking, oh, I'd love to do my own songs? Oh, yeah, it was very intense. Um, and obviously, you know, I just worked so, so hard. Um, I, I never, ever stopped. I never, ever had time to sit back and think. Yeah. Um, as you say, I was getting a little bit older. Um, I wanted a little bit more input and stuff. Um, and it, it was nice to just take a break and revalue everything and just have a think and just be, you know, a teenager again. I know, bit, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, go out to the pictures and just be, you know, just spend time with my boyfriend and just chill out, really. And, you know, because everything just went so fast. And what was it like yeah. when you did? When what was it like when you used to go out? I mean, could you go out? Was it just crazy whenever you went? You know, could you go to the shop still without getting you know accosted all the time? Not really. No, no, no. <laughs> Everywhere I used to go, every single person would just move. Ah, you know, like they, they, they honestly thought that they knew me. Um, yes, yeah. So, a majority of the time, I used to wear wigs. Oh, but, did you? Um, Brilliant. What wigs did you have? That didn't help. I had a black one once. Um, and I remember um, we went out one night and the milkman knocked on the door and said, is this yours? Must have fell <laughs> off, <as> a... <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, I've got quite a few, you know, famous friends now who are still quite famous. And the worst thing is, I think, when you've, you know, you've gone out for an hour, you've been away for the weekend and you go and get a McDonald's or something hungover and you've got people coming over and it's like, oh, not, can I have a picture, selfie? And obviously nowadays... Probably what's worse nowadays is that everyone's got a mobile phone and everyone's like a member of the press, aren't they? It's like oh gosh, oh yeah, completely, yeah, completely. But uh, but years ago, um, we we decided me and my boyfriend that we'd just go to the Lake District and just hire a cottage in the literally middle of nowhere. And then we used to go to these like social clubs in the middle of nowhere like and I used to just wear a wig and but <laughs> I would just give myself away because of the voice that goes that's so good in a wig. Oh, right yes yeah you needed to perfect <laughs> a new accent as well didn't you really <laughs> <laughs> there's something about the Liverpudlian accent that's amazing but it's very distinctive isn't it like you just that's instantly it. you instantly know <laughs> So you then signed um, with Nigel Wright after Stock Egg and Waterman and you had first single Only Fools Never Fall In Love, which was massive. And that was the third top 10 single. I mean, what was the differences changing record company and stuff? What what was, did you notice a big change or was it, because obviously the audience probably wouldn't really know at that time that you'd changed record companies and stuff. Yeah. Or was it was it notably different for you? Well, what happened was, as I say, I took time out and I just chilled out and just thought, you know, Whatever comes along, comes along. Um, and I, I, as time went by, I did miss the records. Um, and uh, Simon Cowell got in touch. Yes, yeah. Um, and said, I'd love to work with Sonia. Um, it's amazing as well. How amazing. 
And so come down to London, we'll have a meeting and we'll have a, we'll have a chat. So I went down and met him and he was absolutely lovely. Um, and he said, listen, son, he said, you know, we're going to do some cover versions, but we'll also do some original stuff. Um, you'll have a say, whatever you release, you'll have a, st- a say in your image. You'll have a say in everything that you do. Um, you know, the album covers, the pictures, everything, which was a, was brilliant for me because ha- having come from no control, yeah. Um, and then, you know, to have that offer, I thought, do you know what? And I really trusted him. And I thought, you know what? This is great. And Nigel Rice, obviously one of the best producers ever, who went on to produce Barbara Streisand, yes, amazing guy. And he, and, you know, he made me feel so at ease. And I said, yeah, do you know what? I'm ready. Let's, let's, let's go for this. Let, let's give it a try. And, that, and that's exactly what we did. And then obviously, Only Fools was a completely original song written for me. Which is amazing and got you back into the top 10, which is absolutely incredible. And then we must move then to uh, another highlight, which was doing Eurovision in 1993, but one of the best songs we've ever had, I think. And you got picked to the first place by Ireland. But Better the Devil You Know. I remember actually first hearing you were doing it, I thought, oh, is she taking Kylie's song to the Eurovision? I do it exactly the same title. It was almost similar, wasn't it? But totally, that was a brilliant song. I mean, what? How was that decision to do Eurovision? Because again, Eurovision, I think it's actually now, it kind of gets bigger and bigger every year, actually, in camp value and kind of people just now adoring it rather than looking down on it. It's a huge celebration of everything. Brilliant, isn't it? But how was that doing Eurovision? Well, I I got a call uh, from the BBC, um, a guy called Stan Appel, a lovely, lovely guy. And he said, we've been thinking about Sonia for a while. Would she consider doing it? And of course, at first you're like, oh, oh, uh, it's quite daunting to think, you know, all those millions of people going to be watching you and everything. But you know what? We sat, I sat there with my then boyfriend and we were discussing it. And I said, you know what? I said, I don't, I've got nothing to lose. I've got nothing to prove because um, I'd already had all the hits. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think if I think if I was coming from an unknown perspective, I don't know whether I would have took the chance. But I thought to myself, do you know what? Just because they asked me as well personally, I felt really proud and um, really, really pri- privileged. And I thought to myself, do you know what's done? Um, Cliff Richard's done it twice, come second twice. Lulu's done it. All the big star, you know, the big names have done it. Um, come on, let's get really behind this and let's give this a brilliant shot. Um, and Sam, Ka- Sam and Cal felt the same. Um, and the whole team, the whole camp was like, come on. So, yeah, so I was like, come on, let's do this, let's win this. And it was a brilliant, it was also a brilliant song, wasn't it? Who wrote that song? Who gave you that song? Because it was a great song as well. It was a guy called Red and Dean Collinson. Uh, okay. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it's it stood out a mile because it was really catchy. There was some great ballads as well that were put forward, but it, the catchiness was just bang in your face, wasn't it? <laughs> And you're so right, because I know, like, Samantha Womack, who I know, obviously she was Sam Janus that she did it, uh, and she said she fell apart, because obviously, you know, she hadn't got the experience singing, and obviously you're live, and you know, I mean, I don't know how many million it is, it's something ridiculous, how many million are watching all around. I mean, what, what do you remember that feeling walking on stage that night, going, oh my God, this is it? 
Um, do you know what? I didn't. I never ever had that feeling because I was there for ten days before, and every day you do two camera runs, um, and then you go into a room and you check all the camera angles and you see what oh, you can right. improve. So it's a very, very long process. And in the end, to be honest with you, Leah, I was like, I just need to do this now. <laughs> yes, I'm going to get <laughs> it over and done. You know, I want to do this now. But do you know what? I know it sounds crazy, but it, there was no nerves. It was more of like a perfectionist in my mind. I'm thinking I've got to do this. I've got two and a half minutes to make an impression. We've got 25 songs and I've got to keep in the people's minds. Yeah. Um, but good enough. I was, ninth, I was on 19. Which was a good place to be on. Yeah. Um. Thank God I didn't go first because I couldn't imagine that. No. Um, no God. Yeah. But I do remember the very, very second before we um, they said right three, two, one, live. I remember it. I remember it like like it was yesterday. Wow. I remember I got I got my trousers caught underneath my heel of my shoe <laughs> as they were going three, two, and I had to get oh, no. out quick. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It was amazing. And I mean, saying that, like looking at what shows, I mean, now I suppose what the equivalent, not the equivalent, but, you know, in its prime X factor, obviously was watched by the whole country. I mean, can you imagine putting yourself in the place of, again, being a brand new artist that's going to sing live in front of Simon Cowell, but also, you know, however, 12, 30 million people that used to watch it. I mean, can you imagine doing that? I mean, again, what do you feel about that? I mean, it, 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 all credit to those people, isn't it? Because it must be so hard having no experience of going live again on a show like that. I mean, it's kind of the way music's changed. You kind of have to perform like that instantly. Well, it's again, it's getting back to, you know, the groundwork. I mean, as I say, you know, I've, I've built up from like 14, 15. I did all the social clubs, all the clubs everywhere. So it, it was just instilled in me when the lights camera go on, you off just you go, it, you know, yeah. it's that you just do it and it takes it's experience, isn't it? I suppose, you know. I mean, I've been in the industry now, well, with the record deal for what, 30 odd years. So it's just like second nature to me. It really totally. even now when I go on stage. But could you imagine going on, say if it was now, it was your time now and you were back being 17 again and the option was going on something like X Factor. Like, how does that make you feel? Do you know what I mean? Can you, do you think that would be, do you think it's got harder, I suppose, to make it, you know, you went up to Pete Waterman. How do you think it's changed over the years to what people do now? Like, could you see yourself going on X Factor and accepting that? Do you know what? I probably would have done if I was 17 and there were shows like that around. I probably would have done that. Yeah. Um, but it's all about it's all about your confidence as well, isn't it? Um, but it's it is it's it's a bit sad for artists now who would who, as you say, who are nobody and they want to make it something of themselves and they've got no experience. I mean, you must be like a rabbit in headlights. I know, you know yeah. I mean? Oh god, yeah. You've got you've got to think to yourself. Uh, you know, I've got to stay in tune. I've got to hold myself up. I've got to smile. I've got to look like I'm not, you know, my head's not like a, my stomach's not like a washing machine. It's, it must be so hard. It really well, I think what's changed is that you almost get critiqued now live with the nation and the nation critiquing you at the same time. Do you know what I mean? It's not, you know, because before social media, which was your generation, our generation of music, you know, it's weird now that everyone can, you know, like you've got Simon, you signed to Simon Cowell, but he wasn't on national telly going, oh, you could have done that a bit better, Sonia. Do you know what I mean? I think they have to cope with so much, don't they now? Well, the thing is now, Lee, I mean, it's literally with you forever, isn't it? You know, and, then, and if you're not so good or you fall apart or whatever, it, it's always there, isn't it? It's yeah. always there. And it's, and it's quite sad because it can 
probably really affect you for the rest of your life, you know, your confidence and stuff. Um, but again, as you say, we're, we're, you know, there wasn't like this intense social media that there is nowadays. And it, it's it's quite scary, really, isn't it? And what say, you, yeah, oh, yeah. It is really scary. I think people are, I mean, I always say working drama and stuff to actors, it's a very, just don't, it's very easy to say this without doing it, but just don't look, because you you need social media in one way, but just don't read the comments, because we all know it's part of our weird build-up in ourselves that you kind of, you can look at 20 amazing comments, but the only one you'll remember is the bad one, isn't it? So it's kind of terrible, and it's like, just I always advise we just don't look, because you don't actually know those people, so it doesn't actually matter what they say. Well, it's like that's, um, you know, the sad story about Jessie. I mean, you know, she's such a talented, lovely, lovely girl, you know, and she, 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 she it's just so sad that she's left the group. Obviously, that's what she felt she needed to do. But she's beautiful. She's got a fantastic voice. She's done so well. Yeah. And, you know, it, 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 it's sad, isn't it, really? Well, I think it's that pressure, like you said, which you were under at the time, that pressure because you've got so many kids idolising you. I mean, did you feel that pressure that you had to maintain? Like we said, I think, I suppose times weren't as in, you know, I probably got, a, you know, a bleached view of stuff thinking that, you know, everyone was innocent in the music industry at that time. Um, as I grew up in telly, I remember Britney Spears, you know, going to a few parties. And this was when, um, you know, as we now know, Britney w- went down a different road. But I was shocked to see Britney drinking and because of the image that had been created for her, and obviously that was impossible for her to in the end live up to because she was drinking and she was kissing men and whatever, you know. So did you find that pressure of, you know, you have to be the girl next door, you have to, this is what you have to do, this is how, you know, did you find that easy or did you feel like rebelling? Well, you were very aware that the kids um, listened to you and followed you and they were in awe of you and they, they looked up to you. Um, but to be honest with you, you know, I... I was a good kid, really. Yeah, I, know, I, mean, yeah, I like to drink and all that, but there was a lot of times where I was offered drugs and stuff like that, which I obviously never, ever took because um, I just didn't want to go down that road. But you you were very, very aware um, that people were looking at you and, you know, looked up to you, really, um, which, yeah, which I tried to maintain, really. And, you know, if I saw people all the time, Wherever I was, I would always say hi and make time for them. And, um, you know, because at the end of the day, you just like everybody else, even though you're a pop star, you're just still a normal person, you know, and it's it's nice to be nice. And that's great you said that, because uh, I, that it's like what Barbara Windsor always said to me once, actually, which was we went to her in Panto and she was signing so many autographs. And I said, God, you get bored of signing them. And she went, Lee, I've never said no to an autograph because these are the people that make me. And I can never forget that. And I actually always say that kind of what you said then it is normal but you're almost in a lucky position and it's like I think some people forget that the audience is what makes you and that's what sustains you as being loved still by a nation I think do you know what I mean so you get the rewards but it's nice to have that level of professionalism I think in our industry well that's it I mean there's there's, there's no need to be you know thinking that you're higher than anyone else or anything else you're just a normal person doing a job that you love and everybody you know hopefully loves what you're doing you, you bring a smile to their face exactly and so we'll quickly talk well actually god we're, we're running i need to keep these short it's got so much to say but well, another highlight for me was you played greece you followed debbie gibson into the west end which was amazing played against craig mclaughlin and shane ritchie obviously i know quite well for these senders i mean again west end another surely another dream fulfilled that playing a lead in a west end show 
Well, that, that was incredible. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I love working on stage and acting, so it's combining the two and singing. Um, yeah, I remember going for the audition. I was doing a different show in the West End called The Slice of Saturday Night on the Strand. And I remember Grease starting. I thought, oh, I would have loved that part. Yeah. I would have loved that part. And then the, a few months later, um, they announced that Debbie Gibson was actually leaving. Um, and you and, went, oh, and, quick, quick. <laughs> so my agent phoned up and said, son, I'd like to come for an audition. And I remember they gave me a, a, an audition slot time. And I remember going for the, the audition. And the queue was round the block with all oh, these wow. standings. I mean, literally round the block. I couldn't believe it. I thought to myself, I don't know how many get this. Not how many well, you had, to queue, you had to queue as well. No, no, oh. I didn't have to queue. Oh, I just okay. went through the stage door. Oh, right. I was going to say. Door. And um, so I, I did the audition. And um, the next thing is, guy comes running from the back of the stalls, and it was Robert Stigwood. Oh, wow. Yeah, he said, I don't care what girls are coming next. She's the one. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And then um, David Dean was there and, um, and all, all, you know, all the gang from the Grease company. And uh, he said, listen, I'll tell you what, um, go and have some lunch and stuff, and we'll call you back in a couple of hours and wow. um, see how we go. So I couldn't believe it. So anyway, so two hours later, they phoned me up again and said, listen, We've had a think. Um, we definitely want you, but we need to see what you like with Craig, Craig McLaughlin. So then we went back to the Dominion, got on the stage, and we did some lines together um, from the script. And then we did a couple of songs together, some dance moves together. And then Robert Stigma said, yeah, you're the girl. And I was like, ah! It all happened in a day. It basically happened the day of the audition. Yes, mine is not the first Then I phoned my mum and dad. They were like, oh, my God. And then Robert said, will you stay down tonight and watch the show with me in my royal box? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I, had, I didn't really bring anything else to wear, fancy, because I didn't like, <laughs> So, again, my, I was with my boyfriend, so we had to go and hire a suit, and I had to try and find something to wear. And I was like, oh. But we were in the royal box, and Robert's thing would have Oh, wow, that's amazing in itself. And then what's it like? I always think going into a show like that, obviously Debbie was in the part before you. Do you watch it kind of, do you separate yourself from the performance? Do you know, or is it, I always think, is it best, I was going to ask you if you'd seen it with her or did you decide not to because it's quite hard if you see someone else playing the role. I mean, obviously we all know Olivia Newton-John, but the stage play is quite different. Yeah, the stage play, uh, remarkable. I only watched that once with Robert. And then I made sure that I didn't really go and watch, you know, because obviously the show was still going on while I was in rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. So I made the point of not going to watch it again and Candice wanted to put my own spin on it, you know. But uh, but it was a truly amazing, amazing show. It really was. To be part of that, the set was amazing. The songs were amazing. And every single night, it felt like you were singing them for the first time again. It was yeah. So brilliant. Well, I mean, that we've all done them at karaoke, you know, we've all sung all those songs. So to do it, actually get paid to do it again. How yeah. in the West End. <laughs> it's yeah. not like you even need to learn the words because you already know them. <laughs> I, 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 did have to, I did have to go to a voice coach, though, for quite a few weeks. Which oh, for you? Because I never got to see you in it. So did you do, did, you did a, an actor? Yeah. Yeah. Did the, uh, yeah. 
I did it in America. So so it was good. That was a challenge, but a real good one. That was amazing. And then obviously you've done uh, things like, I mean, some of the highlights, you've done so much since. In 2012, you all got back together again for the Hit Factory Live event at the O2, 25 years on from the original. I mean, that must have been incredible kind of seeing everyone and being on tour and reliving. I mean, was it kind of like transporting yourself back 25 years when it all happened? Oh, it so was. It so was. What an amazing night. Uh, yeah, just hitting all those songs again, hit, hit after hit after hit, and, and obviously bumping into everyone again and having reminiscing. And, of course, like my little daughter, she was only two at the time. Oh, she came on the stage with me at the end when all the fireworks went off and there. It was just the most brilliant. Oh, so proud. Such a proud moment. And then before this, obviously, I met your daughter on here quickly. I mean, does she know? Is it weird? Does she know how big mummy was back in the day? You know, is, is it weird for her to see? Has she seen all your old pop videos and stuff? Oh, she sees everything. She comes on tour with me all the time. She comes to the shows. In fact, she's a fabulous little thing of herself. She plays the piano. She's just oh, wow, brilliant. And I'm just telling you now, watch this space because she is absolutely brilliant. Amazing. So, yeah, and so she's yeah. a fan. She's not embarrassed. She's a fan. You know, like loads of kids. Oh, she's my active she's... kids. They're like, oh, mum, as if you're playing her. <laughs> oh, she's not embarrassed at all. She, she, she's like, like, yes. she, comes she comes on the stage with me, like, dancing thing. Oh, I love that. And then, like you said, you do loads of festivals, Rewind Here and Now, and you signed, I think, are you still with Energise Records? I'm not with Energise anymore. Oh, you're not with Energise no, anymore. anymore. So what's yeah. what's what's the plan? What's the plan now? What's the plan for the, Obviously, still playing. I mean, what I love now as well, and I think this has changed in the last, say, 10 years, is that there was almost this kind of like looking down on looking at the past. Do you know what I mean? But now... I mean, so many bands have got back together. Obviously, even recently, Steps have come back together. You know, it's it's seen as a brilliant thing now to celebrate. I think Kylie, for a while, almost didn't want to go back to the past, you know, because you don't feel cool. And now she's obviously celebrates it to the hilt as well. It must be great that you know that, you know, that there's probably loads of opportunities there for people to relive. It's not like you need 10 more top 10 records. You can kind of celebrate what was huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody still loves all the music, you know, because, as you know, songs, they're a story of your life, really. You remember where you was at what time a song was out. And and as, as you say, you know, all the festivals and all the shows they just get bigger, bigger and better. Um, and I, I love it. I, I'm so proud. You know, I really, really am of everything that I've done and all the songs and. And the fans have followed me along all along the way. And, you know, yeah, I, I absolutely love it and I embrace it. And I'm going to end with a song I asked you ages ago, and, and I don't know whether you've forgotten or not, but a song you wish you'd recorded. Yes. Yeah. Was it Never Too Late? Oh, it was Kylie. Never Too Late. Give us a little burst of that, Sonia, to end the show. Oh, never too late, we've still got time. It's never too late, you can still be mine. It's never too late to change your mind. Amazing. Well, listen, it's been, thank you so much for being a guest. It's been an absolute pleasure and honour honor to talk to you. Huge fan. And oh. I'm so glad. And what I was saying at the beginning to everyone is you don't even look any different, which is so annoying. <laughs> you look oh, amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll look forward to what is coming in the future. Let's hope we're working together on a soap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
for Sunday's Definitely. Stream, but definitely I'll hold, I'll hold you to that. I'll yeah. Hold you to that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sonia. I'm going to